Hello, everyone. You're listening to Slapdash, the podcast about history, art, science, and everything else. We're your hosts, Shannon Deaton and Jason Creekmore. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we are discussing the science and history of the living dead. They've gone by many names in pop culture, ghouls, walkers, and most commonly, zombies. Seated across from me is the only man to have been bitten by a zombie and bit back, Jason Creekmore. Jason, how are you feeling today? I'm doing well. Uh, Zombies surprisingly taste like chicken. Do they really? Yep, they really do. (laughs) Kind of, you know, a little more stinky kind of. Yeah. But but pretty much like just... The rotten flesh. Ghoulish chicken. Yeah, yeah. yeah, That'll do it, I would say. So, so Jason, have you watched very many zombie movies? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, pretty much throughout my entire life. Yeah. Tons of them. Me too. They've... uh, They're they're a big part of pop culture and just something that's been around for a long time. Yeah, I remember one time I was at a... at a family reunion. I was probably around nine or ten years old, and someone had rented a, a VHS tape, and we were watching that, and it was like, you know, oh, it's good, it's great, it's five or six o'clock, and then darkness came. <laughs> right. And then about midnight, I was just like, you know, peeking out the window like the whole night. So I, I specifically remember the one zombie movie that, probably the only zombie movie that really scared me when I was probably about nine or ten years old. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's there's different varieties of zombies. There's the slow-paced uh, zombies who just kind of creep along and are, are barely even alive. And then there's those like in 28 days later who just like sprint at you. <laughs> yeah, they're on steroids. That's right. Yeah. Did, did zombies need like a, a better way to be terrifying? I would vote no. I mean, I think they were already scary enough. <laughs> they're okay. Just as they are. Yeah. They don't need superpowers. <laughs> no. Right. We'll begin the discussion today by talking a little bit about what zombies actually are. And as we've already discussed, zombies are often portrayed as undead, flesh-eating, decaying corpses. <laughs> they, Sounds great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so they have various traits that are common. They often have ravenous appetites. They can't be satisfied. Uh, strong but robotic beings with rotting flesh, as we said. And their only mission is to feed. It seems like they're not really interested in anything else except their next meal. Sounds like a teenager. <laughs> I was going to say. Sounds like a lot of uh, college-age students, right? Yeah. <laughs> what, what will I eat next? Yeah. Now, zombies have been known to devour prey in popular television shows like AMC's The Walking Dead. And they've also got their groove on in Michael Jackson's Thriller video. <laughs> so they kind of come at us with a range of talents. Zombies have an interesting history. The ancient Greeks may have been the first civilization to be terrified of the undead. So, Jason, you weren't alone. There have been those who have come before you who really didn't like the idea of flesh-eating monsters outside the door. <laughs> Somewhere out, you know, way, way back in the past, there was a, a Greek family reunion, right? That's right. <laughs> Someone was like like peering through the columns. That's right, like, yeah. Oh, is that a zombie on yonder hill? <laughs> they, ju- they just watched a play, you know, of, of Night of uh, yeah. Ye Living Dead. Yeah. Uh, archaeologists have unearthed ancient graves, which contain skeletons that were pinned down by heavy rocks. And it's presumed that these rocks were on top of the skeletons in ancient Greece times to keep them from reanimating. If you have something heavy on top of you, then perhaps you're not going to be able to bust through the grave and mess with the family reunions, <laughs> those sort of things. Uh, zombies are also popular in Haitian folklore and possibly originated in the 17th century. Uh, some people who follow the voodoo tradition today believe zombies are revived by a voodoo practitioner known as a bakar. 
So there are folks who believe that zombies are alive and well, you know, in the sense that they can be alive. I guess they are undead after all. Uh, But Bakars have a tradition of using herbs, shells, fish, animal parts, bones and other objects to create mixtures. And these mixtures are often called zombie powders. So they take a variety of ingredients. They mix them all together. They create a zombie powder. And this zombie powder oftentimes also contains a deadly neurotoxin that may cause zombie-like symptoms, such as difficulty walking, mental confusion, and respiratory problems. So all those zombies that you've seen in the movies may have come about as a result of, uh, you know, these voodoo back cars, possibly. I think the uh, zombie powder sounds a lot like poison. Yeah. yeah, that's what we call it in these parts. That's right. Maybe that's just me, but that's kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> it's no it's no good for you. Uh, and, you know, high doses of the zombie powder can lead to paralysis and coma. And this could cause someone to appear dead and be buried alive and then later return once they sort of come to their senses. Now, Jason, zombies have been very popular in pop culture. According to a book by Linda Troost called The Undead 18th Century, zombies appeared in literature as far back as 1697 and were described as spirits or ghosts and not as cannibalistic monsters as they are today. They first arrived on the film scene around the same time as Dracula and Frankenstein in 1932 release titled White Zombie. So not Night of the Living Dead. That's what I thought before we got into this episode, that Night of the Living Dead was the origination of zombies on hmm. the big screen. But no, it was back in 1932. They were around with the likes of Dracula, Frankenstein, and some of those original monsters. Now, Night of the Living Dead came on the scene in 1968. It was directed by George Romero, and it grossed $12 million domestically and $18 million internationally, earning 250 times its budget. I've seen this movie in both black and white and in color, and I have to say I much prefer the black and white version. It just seems to really set the tone. It's much creepier, and I just remember that opening scene that has the brother and the sister, and they're in the graveyard, and I think they're going to put some flowers on a relative's grave, and there's the the brother who just kind of looks at the sister, and whenever he finds out that she's afraid, and he just says, they're coming for you, Barbara. They're they're going to get you, Barbara. That's really (laughs) creepy. It's a it's it's very iconic for sure, but that's uh, that's an interesting movie, one that I've I've watched a few times. In addition to Night of the Living Dead, there's also The Walking Dead, which is a television spinoff of Night of the Living Dead. Uh, it's a television adaptation of Robert Kirkman's comic book series of the same name, and it debuted on October 31st, 2010. And Jason Robert Kirkman, the series creator, was actually born in Lexington, Kentucky, so not too far away. He's he's actually a Kentucky native. Yeah, uh, You know you have a really popular television show when, when there's another television show right. that follows that called Talking Dead. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, and that's the sole purpose of it is just so the characters can talk about you know the yeah. plot of the yeah it's that that show is wildly popular oh yeah absolutely and of course Walking Dead is based on Night of the Living Dead there's there's a clear lineage here between the big screen adaptation and the television adaptation and the Walking Dead as a show has entered its tenth season of production and has generated countless millions of dollars in revenue and Jason this originated as a comic book series and I've I've read quite a few of these it's uh it's very very entertaining. And one thing to point out about the series as it appears in the comic books is that it's completely in black and white. 
which is something that's kind of atypical for a modern day right, comic sure, book series. Yeah. But this was something that Robert Kirkman did for a couple of reasons. Number one, it reduced cost, right? It's much cheaper to not color in the panels. And number two, uh, it increased the tone and, and better reflected back to the original movies of Night of the Living Dead, hmm. because of course it was in black and white as well. And Robert Kirkman was a big fan of Night of the Living Dead. Thus, The Walking Dead was born. Lots of zombies in pop culture. Have you seen very many uh, zombies in, in different franchises and, and things crop up in pop culture? Oh, yeah. There, there are ton, tons of books, tons of cartoons, movies. I mean, it's, it seems as though, and maybe it started with The Walking Dead, <clears throat> in the last 10 years or so, that that has been the fad. Right. Uh, to me. I mean, I, I've even seen uh, children's costumes uh, at Halloween over the last several years. Sure. There, there are more and more elaborate zombie uh, costumes than I did like back like in the 80s and 90s. Right. So uh, I think this is this is definitely the time of, of, of the zombie. It is. Yeah. Uh, we've been through the, the vampire uh, <coughs> craze. We've been through, you know, the serial killer movies that those were popular in the, the mid and late 90s. And of course, the early 80s. You know, zombies have seen a major resurgence in oh, pop absolutely. culture yeah. in the last decade, for sure. So, Jason, let's break it down now and talk a little bit more about where zombies might actually appear in our world, because that's the big question. Obviously, they're in the films, they're on television, but are there any examples in nature or anything that's ever happened to demonstrate that zombies might exist in our world or could exist? Shannon, I have two words for you. All right. Zombie ant. Zombie ant. Yeah. And, and not, <laughs> okay. like your, not like your uncle and your aunt. Right. But ant the insect, right? Zombie Somehow that's ant. more terrifying than like human zombie. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly you know, right. Zombie ant. Yeah. Uh, a really interesting uh, topic here. Scientists have discovered a parasitic fungi named cordyceps. And I had never heard of that until I was doing some research. Uh, this particular fungi attacks ants in a very strange way. Uh, once the ants are infected, they are, in a sense, uh, like zombies. Instead of continuing on with their society of ants and kind of doing their daily ant you know, type things, they essentially go rogue. Uh, they stumble away from the community, which is very odd yeah. know, for, for an ant. And now what I'm getting ready to tell you now is is really strange. So if you can kind of picture yourself, sort of shrink yourself down to ant size, right? So you're in the jungle. They stumble away from their community. They climb a tall plant, and then they bite down on the stem of the plant, uh, anchoring themselves uh, onto it. And that is the last thing they ever do, because as soon as they do that, they die. And what become and what comes next is just is just absolutely crazy. Over the span of several days, the ant is is there dead, you know, clenched on to the the stem of the plant, and a stalk erupts from the back of the dead ant's head. This stalk continues to grow and grow until the tip of the stalk pops and releases spores into the air that rains down on the ant colony below, in turn infecting them. Uh, the cordyceps fungi literally turns ants into zombies uh, that render them incapable of making their own decisions. It starts to immobilize them. They, they become disoriented. Uh, the fungus takes control of their mind and uses the host as a means to perpetuate itself. On to other ants. So if you you know see me biting down uh, on a stalk anytime <laughs> soon uh, with something growing at the back of my head, you know you might want to run. But that is really strange because there's actually video that you can go on YouTube and watch this, and you will see literally like a stick that begins to grow out of the back of the ant corpse. 
as it's still sort of hanging there. Man, that just makes my skin crawl. It's, that is that is terrifying. Yeah. And of course, that is you know that's all by design. That you know, they they get the ant sort of isolated from the community, and the ant climbs really high, uh, directly above sort of the colony below, because they know in a few days that when that stalk grows out, it's going to pop, and the spores will go. And that's that's sort of how that's the life cycle of the the fungi. And so the whole thing is called basically zombie ants because they literally just kind of lose their minds and they they lose sort of bodily control and they don't even walk normally. They kind of walk in a really sort of drunken way Mm -hmm. Uh, and then they go up and just sort of bite down on something and then die just for the sole purpose that this thing can come out the back of its head. So, <laughs> it's so strange. It's so strange to that me. That is crazy. So they're alive for a time while this is going on. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they, and they, they even sort phys- of separate themselves. Yeah, and they even physically change. Like they, you begin to see something like growing on its head sort of on the outside. Right. Yeah, and they just begin acting really strange. And there's actually some footage that some uh, folks in the uh, documentary world have where a colony will actually carry an infected ant away. Oh, because and they somehow know they, that it's going yeah, to so pop the stem. Yeah, and they, and they somehow either take it away or they kill it. Uh, but if one sort of breaks loose from the colony, uh, and, and again, there's video of this. It just sort of just goes rogue, does its own thing, climbs as high as it can get, and then bites down. And then that is it. That's the last thing it does, and it sits there and it dies. And then over a few days, you know, the ants below kind of keep doing their thing. And little do they know that death's getting ready to rain down just, just in a few days. If I find you climbing like a like a radio tower, <laughs> I'm sorry, man. You've been a good friend, but – Take him away. Exploding spore stalks. Uh, not not for me. No, know? no, absolutely. So, uh, but it, but it is interesting. Like I said, there there's uh, tons of videos like on YouTube yeah. and online that that actually shows this process. And of course, it's sped up. But you can see the stalk like growing out of the the back of the skull of the ant. So this uh, is one really example strange. of biology where potentially something is sort of taking over a host, a parasite. Oh yeah, and absolutely. They're exhibiting zombie like symptoms that can spread contagiously to other yep. members of the colony. Yep. Absolutely. Wow. Yep. That's uh, thus the name, zombie ant. <laughs> and that's <laughs> real. That's 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 a true story, as they say. That's right. True facts. There have also been numerous cases of people uh, passing away and then hours or sometimes days later waking up. And, of course, you just mentioned that a little bit earlier with some medical conditions and uh, those types of things. Now, obviously, there are some medical issues that might cause people to appear dead. You know, sometimes people can have uh, comatose type symptoms where their pulse dramatically lowers, uh, the breathing slows and becomes shallow. And depending on the time period and the part of the world we're talking about, uh, it's possible for someone to appear dead uh, and then come back, uh, especially if they don't check the body, uh, if they don't utilize embalming practices. Right. Again, it's sort, of, it's sort of a historical perspective yeah. and kind of you know how, how certain cultures handle their dead. However, there was one case that really did baffle everyone. The event happened in Haiti in 1996, like you just mentioned Haiti a few moments ago. There was a woman around 30 years old who became ill and passed away. Her family buried her in the family tomb uh, the very same day. Three years went by, and then one day, the lady who had passed away was just seen wandering around the outskirts of the village, just sort of on the perimeter, three years later. 
The lady was brought back to the village and was later identified uh, by her family members, including her husband, as well as the other villagers. So multiple people said, yeah, this is who this is. They were in total shock because they buried her three years ago. The woman was visibly uh, weak uh, and mute. Uh, She was unable to feed herself. Uh, Days later, a local court authorized her tomb to be opened. Uh, But all that was found was a pile of rocks. Hmm. Which is sort of creepy because you just it mentioned does, yeah. earlier with the rocks. That's that's kind of just weird. That is kind of weird. So, what could have happened there? I don't know. You know. So you know, her parents were convinced that this that this was their daughter, as everyone was. But at the same time, it wasn't their daughter. You know, she no longer communicated. She you know, she was just entirely different, acted different. Uh, ultimately, the woman was admitted to a psychiatric hospital in Port-au-Prince. And to this day, the case remains unexplained. And this happened in the 90s? In 90, 1996. So we're not talking about ancient Greek times. This is f- very no. recent history. Yeah. We were alive. Oh, when yeah. this happened. Well, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, they, they have they have a a functional court that they had to get permission to go back into the tomb. I mean, this is a it's a, a modern a, a civilized yeah. area. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. So, so was she a zombie, Jason? Uh, I, <laughs> I like to think not. At least the the nine and ten year old me that I was looking out the window at my family reunion. Right. If, if if I had seen you know uh, a thirty year old woman walking up, yeah. you know, oh my gosh, it's she didn't have a stalk over. coming out of her head. Oh, like <laughs> well, that, that'd right? be horrifying. <laughs> What's this bump on the back of your head, yeah. man? What's going on here, Pop? <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, and in terms of psychiatric conditions, uh, there's also something called Cotard syndrome. Have you ever heard of that? No. No. What's that? Uh, Cotard syndrome is basically the belief that certain people have, obviously a very small percentage, that they are basically dead or that they are decaying. And so, like, they're they're talking to you and they believe in their heart of hearts that they that they are dead and that they don't know how they're talking to you because they really believe that they're wow. dead or that they're slowly decaying and, and and dying. And so there have been a few cases of this where people obviously will go to medical doctors and then they would be referred to uh, psychologists and so forth. There's even been uh, cases where people have tried to, to break into morgues and to hospitals and just sit with, with the dead because they feel as though that that's where they, <laughs> that they belong and, and feel as though that they stink. That their flesh is rotting, they're convinced of it. Huh. And so again, you know, obviously uh, uh, a so psychological issue Psychological, here. right? Yeah, but but really bizarre. But but it is. It has happened enough that it's been diagnosed, and that's the name of it. That's incredible. Kind of strange. Yeah, you know, that Cotard that, syndrome. Cotard syndrome. Yep. Man, that's crazy. So, talking about plagues and, and outbreaks, and you know, like when we're talking about zombies, some of them it's like biological warfare, right, right? or some kind of nuclear fallout, sure. or a spell. You know, so there, there's all kinds of things that might create a, a zombified person, right. you know, so to speak. So, can you tell us a little bit more about plagues? Maybe some historical uh, topics and issues that maybe led people to believe that. Sure. When we're thinking about whether or not zombies are possible. We first of all, we refer back to the pop culture. And as you mentioned, a lot of times the zombies come about as a result of a plague or an outbreak, a sudden sickness that is onset by symptoms of fever, shivers and perspiration. And the person just becomes very, very weak. And then they somehow transition into into the zombie state. So in thinking about what is actually happening in our world, 
up to this date, whenever we're trying to consider zombies and whether or not they might be feasible, we have to think about the plagues that have already occurred and consider whether something could move that quickly and cause that amount of devastation. Because typically a zombie apocalypse, as it's depicted in the films, affects the entire world. It's, it's generally not just a community, right? It's, it's something that spreads uh, across the community and then goes across a nation and oftentimes crosses internationally and it ultimately yeah. affects the world. Yeah, and, and obviously in, in books and movies that typically happens like within a span of like weeks or months. Sure. It's not like a 20-year plan that zombies have. Right. <laughs> it's, it's almost overnight. You yeah. Know, like, you know, well, there is we the movie 28 Days Later and it's right. literally just 28 days after the outbreak of this contagion, right? right. So there's two Two different flavors of contagion, and flavors is probably a really bad word. <laughs> to <laughs> tastes like use here. tastes like chicken. <laughs> well, one flavor uh, is called an epidemic, and this is an outbreak of disease that attacks many people at about the same time and may spread through one or several communities. So, an epidemic is a little bit more localized. The larger scale version of this and what it would take in order to create the zombie apocalypse is something called a pandemic. And this is when the contagion spreads across the entire world in a number of years, weeks, months, etc. So there have been several times throughout history that this happened. And most notably, in the 14th century, you might be familiar with the Great Plague, also called the Black Death, also called the Bubonic Plague. Have oh, yeah. you heard of this? Absolutely. Yep. It was likely transmitted from rodents to humans by the bite of infected fleas. So this was one of the plagues that was carried by animals and mutated in such a way that it was able to infect humans. The bacteria spread from Asia to Europe, killing an estimated one-third of Europe's population. Yeah, I mean, think about that. I mean, I one out of every three people I know. in it's Europe crazy. died because of this. Yeah. <clears throat> That's crazy to think about. It is. More recent literature, Jason, suggests that maybe even nearly half of Europe's population may have been killed by this plague. So it was far-reaching. It was scary. It was next door. It was in your house. It was something that was unstoppable at the time, given what they knew about medicine. In October 1347, 12 ships docked at the Sicilian port of Messina, and this is where it all started. People gathering on the docks were met with a horrifying surprise. Most sailors aboard the ships were dead. And those still alive were gravely ill and covered in black boils that oozed blood and pus. And this sounds like the premise of a lot of zombie movies. Just this complete bodily outbreak of bloody sores and yeah. pus and bumps and boils. The Italian poet Giovanni Boccaccio wrote, quote, At the beginning of the malady, certain swellings, either on the growing or under the armpits, grow to the bigness of a common apple, others to the size of an egg, some more and some less. Jason, this this is terrifying to me. <laughs> Can you just imagine someone with these black sores the size of an apple? I mean that that is that's horrifying. And of course, uh, you know this time period, uh, there's a great deal of literature, paintings, sculptures that really focus on this time period and particularly this event. Oh yeah. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of art that was produced during this time period focused on death. That yeah. was that was definitely a big theme. And some of the uh, paintings depicted this. You would just see people like in the streets and, and these these just you know god awful sores and people trying to help and just a just an absolute, you know, terrifying time. 
You yeah. know, it's just hopelessness. Absolutely. It was overly contagious. That's what was so terrifying about it. Uh, Boccaccio went on to write, quote, The mere touch of the clothes appeared to itself to communicate the malady to the toucher, end quote. So it was so real to these people that they were afraid to even touch the garments of someone's clothing because they thought that would transmit the disease. And given the conditions that they were living in and the lack of hygiene, that very possibly could have been the case. Yeah. This disease was terrifyingly efficient. People who were perfectly healthy when they went to bed at night could be dead by morning. That's how real it was. Golly. You could feel perfectly fine, and then in the span of eight to ten hours from the time you lay down, you could be dead. That's how real it was to, to the people at this time. And, Jason, there's a common nursery rhyme that emerges from around this period. You may have heard of it. It's called Ring Around the Rosy. Oh, yeah. I've heard it uh, several times. I have young daughters, so you know they're very fond of a, a, a preschool nursery band called the Wiggles. Have you heard of the Wiggles? <laughs> toot, toot, chugga, chugga, big red car. <laughs> yeah. That's a common anthem. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Wiggles fan from way back. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this nursery rhyme, Ring Around the Rosie, is very much targeted at children. I sang it growing up. We would usually hold hands. We'd yep. you know run around in a circle, and we would sing this song. And it was suspected to have been written about the symptoms of the black. Death. This is something I didn't know growing up. Otherwise, I would be singing toot toot chugga chugga. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Definitely not <laughs> ring around the rosy. But we have a clip uh, of the song, so I'm going to play that now and then we'll talk about it. Ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Okay, so obviously that's a dramatized version. <laughs> that's the, that's the stuff of nightmares, my friend. If yeah. you have a child like you know uh, saying that like in a corner, you need to leave the house. Yeah, let the child have the house. That's right. Yeah. I'm outside. I'm leaving. <laughs> that's that's the end of that relationship. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> so the the song talks about the the rosy right ring around the rosy and a rosy rash meaning just sort of a, a reddish pink discoloration was a symptom of the black death. And posies of herbs were carried as protection and to ward off the smell of the disease. The song also says ashes to ashes, which may have referred to cremation that occurred after the fact of, you know, these many people dying. And then probably the scariest part of the song, we all fall down. It may have been in reference to death itself. And then we all clap. That's right. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Let's get up and do it again. Right. <laughs> Now, you know, there's some debate and argument about whether or not that's what that song is actually about. But certainly it puts into perspective, I think, the feeling of what that would have been like and, you know, some of the historical moments oh, of, of yeah. what could have occurred. Now, in addition to the Black Death, when you're thinking about other plagues and viruses that have had a dramatic effect on civilization throughout the years, you also have to consider a more recent virus called the Spanish flu. This is a form of the H1N1 virus, uh, and it circulated around 1918, so not that long ago, just a little over 100 years ago. The virus originated from birds, and it seems to be some of the most dangerous viruses uh, mutate from animals. They are something that lay dormant inside of animals. They have some sort of mutation that allows them to connect to a human host, and then the humans uh, exert different forms of symptoms. Now, in regard to the Spanish flu, it killed nearly 50 million people across the globe, uh, and there were 675,000 people who were killed in the U.S. 
alone. Although 50 million people died, there were an estimated 500 million people internationally who were infected by the virus. And that at the time in 1918 was about one third of the world's population. So if we're putting in this into perspective of zombies or sort of the same ratio, sort of the same like ratio the, with the black death. Right. And I, I think, you know, if a disease can infect one third of the planet and that disease is zombies, I think we're in trouble. Right. Potentially. Yeah. Right. So the same numbers hold true. Yeah. So the virus killed more people in a shorter amount of time than any other outbreak in history. More soldiers died in World War One from the Spanish flu than died in the actual fight. That's amazing. Man. And so you you really think about how many deaths the world experienced. I mean, during during World War One, you know, from 19, I think 1914, 1918. And then obviously that coming at the tail end. Right. At the tail end of that. That's that's a lot of a lot of death. It's a it's a lot. And obviously there were no vaccines to protect against the flu at the time. There were no antibiotics to treat the secondary bacterial infections that were associated with the flu. Therefore, all the control efforts worldwide were very limited. They were non-pharmaceutical interventions such as isolation, moving the people outside of the house or into quarantine, trying to use better personal hygiene, use of disinfectants and limitations of public gatherings. But this was limited in its widespread adoption and therefore yeah a a lot of people just became very ill and a lot of people died so one agency that's responsible for tracking all of this and certainly comes into all discussions i think involving widespread pandemics and potentially a, a zombie pandemic is the center for disease control the cdc it's, it's in a lot of the movies. I, I know in oh, The Walking yeah. Dead, the first season, the whole point of the first season of the show is the characters are trying to get to the CDC because they feel like if they can get to the CDC, surely they have an answer. They have a cure. Right. They have they a have safe to. house. Right. Right. Something to, to save them. But the CDC is an American organization that works 24-7 to protect citizens from health, safety, and security threats, both foreign and domestic. The organiz- uh, organization's been in operation since about 1946 and is located just south of where we're recording in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, one interesting thing about the CDC is that it houses samples of old diseases, including the those that have been eradicated, such as smallpox. So, Jason, somewhere in a laboratory just south of where we're seated, there is a vial. And in that vial is a sampling of the smallpox disease, a disease that killed 300 million people in just the 20th century alone. So you want to make a trip? <laughs> not not to Atlanta. No, no. You know, what's so scary about that is uh, every, you know, that's common knowledge. I mean, it, or it can be. I mean, everyone in the world could know, right. you know with a little bit of research that those things are there. Right. Yeah. And that's that's scary. I mean, I would imagine the security oh, of that place is just off the yeah. charts. I mean, it's like Fort Knox level, yeah. I, would, I would assume. I consider us fairly sane. You know, we, we have this knowledge and we think, <laughs> uh, no, thanks. There's yeah. a place for diseases and it's in the CDC in that's a vial behind a vault. <laughs> that's right. But then there are crazy people. Yep. Who who have enough sense to do a do a raid on this place? I mean, they raided Area Fifty One. Yep, right? absolutely. I mean, there's it people could, who, yeah. who get these plans in place, and obviously, I would hope that the security is such that something could never occur where someone could get into these facilities and tamper right. or get access to these. But it is there. It's there. It exists. 
you know, we were talking about the one-third ratio. It shows up again with the smallpox disease. The disease has been known to kill one-third of those it infects and has actually coexisted with human beings for thousands of years. So there's evidence that it's been around for a very long time. The earliest physical evidence of smallpox was found on Egypt's pharaoh Ramesses V, who died in 1157 B.C. It's crazy to me that we can track back something that far and know definitively that there was a disease that killed this person. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. That is strange. Yeah. Now, um, a lack of immunity might also be a concern with a lot of these diseases because in terms of smallpox, the Spanish owe much of their success in conquering the Aztecs and the Incas in the 16th century Mexico to smallpox. You may have heard about this. Oh, yeah. It was less their military prowess and a little bit more the lack of immunity that a lot of these native tribes actually had. In fact, they had no immunity, and it killed them in devastating numbers when the Spanish brought it to the territory. So in terms of transmission, obviously these plagues have to spread somehow. Historically, plagues have spread in uh, a few different ways, and the CDC cites the following ways that these plagues might potentially spread. First of all, flea bites, as we mentioned earlier. The plague bacteria are most often transmitted by the bite of an infected flea. Sometimes, Jason, during a plague, a lot of the rodents die off, and it causes hungry fleas to kind of seek other sources of blood. And this is what the CDC says, you know. People and animals that visit places where rodents have recently died from the plague are at risk of being infected. The second way that these plagues are often transmitted is contact with contaminated fluid or tissue. Humans can become infected when handling tissue or body fluids of a plague-infected animal or human. For example, a hunter skinning a rabbit or other infected animal without using proper precautions could become infected with plague bacteria. And then finally, and probably the most disturbing, is the plague can be transmitted through infectious droplets. When a person has plague pneumonia, they may cough droplets containing the plague bacteria into the air. Similar to what you were talking about with the spores with the ant. Right. Just sort of this sudden onset of the virus in the air itself. So if someone sneezes, they cough, you really can't see it, but a little mist comes out. Oh, yeah. And then you, you know. You You inhale that in. And then there you go. You go to bed happy. You wake up dead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's awful, uh, you know, and if these bacteria containing droplets are breathed in by another person, they can cause the pneumonic plague. And, you know, it's, it's highly contagious in this way. Realistically, this is how it might spread, you know, in a zombie apocalypse scenario. My final question on this topic is, could a zombie contagion make its way around the world and cause loss of life? In short, if the plague itself existed and caused zombie-like symptoms, yes. There are multiple sources of evidence throughout history indicating that virulent diseases can be transmitted around the world in a short amount of time, and they can cause massive devastation to human life. Especially now, I mean, you know, with the advent of jets, I mean, boats, obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, things All could All the massive could, travel could internationally. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, things could spread much quicker now. I mean, what would used to take weeks or months to travel, you know, across seas and oceans now is a matter of hours. Yeah. I could be anywhere in the world in 24 hours or less. Yeah. Well, I, I have a foreign exchange student that you know, her father was in Denmark. Uh, and then 18 hours later, I met him at McDonald's in Whitley City. That's incredible. You know, so, yeah. yeah. Wow. So, Jason, we've established that the zombie virus itself could spread. It could cause massive devastation. Historically, this has been proven. So if we woke up tomorrow to a zombie apocalypse (laughs) and there was a zombie knocking on the door, 
you were looking out the window of your family retreat. <laughs> be like, there he is. And, and, and you saw him. You, you locked eyes with patient zero, the, the first zombie just kind of waddling toward your house. Would that zombie actually pose a threat if it did exist from a scientific standpoint? What do you think? I mean, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it would have to. If, if you have, uh, I mean, some humanoid-like creature, a zombie that looks 80% human but definitely doesn't act it and, and has some kind of a disease, then, yeah. I mean, as we know, I mean, even one person, you know, can can pass, obviously, you know, uh, diseases around. Now, in terms of it being, like, widespread, like, what would the government do? You know, there's, I guess, different possibilities of that. I mean, if, if there were a few people and it was not airborne— like, you know, let's say that they had to actually bite you. Right. You know, I think they may handle that a little bit differently. Obviously, I think, you know, they would either like initially just destroy. I mean, obviously just destroy yeah. them once they knew what they were or try to quarantine them. You know, right. And and uh, but again, it would just it would sort of depend on how widespread and what was going on. Uh, now, when we see sort of the zombies that are the slow walking, you know, type, you know, we had talked uh, before the podcast, you know, if you're talking about Night of the Living Dead type zombies that. You can see them coming. They're there. They're visible. Sort of shamble over the landscape yeah. toward your little yeah. farmhouse uh, in rural Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, uh, a normal person is 10 times faster, you know, than they are. In some ways, that would be easier to to address or to fight than these airborne pathogens you're talking about. Yeah, that's because true. obviously, you can see the enemy, right? Right. And we're much faster than that, than that enemy. So in some ways, it would actually be easier probably to address – you know, some of those some of those issues. Sure. But obviously, if it's widespread and we just have thousands and thousands of these people just walking the countryside, you know, it would be interested to see what the government would do. Yeah. Probably the most susceptible people would be the young, the very young who didn't know what a zombie was yeah. and how to stay away from it. Or the elderly, like with a lot of these diseases, they might just be a little bit slower, a little bit more incapable of escaping the shambling zombie coming over yeah. the hill. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that I think would be interesting, and again, this is maybe sort of a a, a far-fetched, you know, idea, but let's just suppose, for instance, that there were 50 zombies, you know, whatever, and the government had corralled them and and, and sort of quarantined them and, you know, put them in an area. And obviously, they would be really unlike a normal human, right? I mean, they would not communicate. They're just very violent. They're literally zombies in every sense of the word. Right. I think it would be interesting to see how society would approach approach them from an ethical standpoint because you know there would be certain groups that would want to protect the rights of the zombies you know oh without a doubt without a doubt and i yeah. just that would be curious to me as to if if people saw what they were and sure. that obviously they they cannot be trusted i mean they're they're killers right yeah. but yet you know behind uh, a closed door or behind like a a, a safe viewing point well that used to be your to brother be kind of hard, your sister, harmless your, right your yeah. mom yeah, you know. So I think just from a societal standpoint, uh, I think it'd be interesting to see the people that would come forward to try to protect the zombies, even though we can't touch the zombies, right. but to but to try to protect them. So I think that would be. I think that, that is would be that's interesting. an interesting discussion for yeah. sure. Well, Shannon, uh, I think that's about all I have for this zombie talk. Uh, I, I think it's been a good one. It's a really uh, a really cool topic. Obviously, it's. Uh, very popular in uh, 
pop culture, but uh, I think that we have pretty much covered everything for today. So anything else you'd like to add? I'll, I'll just mention, you know, I, I think in terms of just the biology of the zombies, if uh, they did exist, probably the weather and the elements would, would pretty clearly wipe them out because I'm <laughs> assuming there's nothing else supernatural about them other than the fact that they were dead and then they woke up. So all other things being the same and right. having a general understanding of biology, dead and rotting flesh doesn't make it very far before it dies and rots. It just starts to fall off, right? right? Yeah. 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 So just assuming that all that holds true, the weather conditions, the the wind would probably blow these things over before you would have to knock them over with a shovel. You know, right. I'd say I'd say just a strong uh, a strong rain. <laughs> right. <laughs> just kind of wipe them out and take them out. Uh, so yeah, I, I find that aspect of it very interesting because if the zombies were to be a problem, they would have to be more than just reanimated carcasses. There would have to be another right. element to it that sort of beefs them up because a lot of times when you see them depicted in popular culture, they're more or less just skeletons walking around. But unfortunately for reality and physics, muscle systems actually move, actually right. move, actually move skeletons, <laughs> skeletons along. So right. in the absence of those things, I think you've just got a pile of bones. Right. So once an ambitious pile of bones. <laughs> <laughs> that tastes like chicken. Once <laughs> once your uh, muscles just sort of turn to mush, they just kind of slide off the bone there, and then there you go, right? You just, you just have a skeleton. That's so, all yeah. you have. Yeah, yeah. very and good point. That quickly turns to dust. So, <laughs> Well, we just want to take this time to thank all of our listeners, and uh, hopefully you'll connect with us on social media. You can reach us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at slapdashpod. Thank you so much, and take care. Take care, everyone. 